0: Welcome back to Sloydcast. I'm your host, Mark Angelini, joined by my co-host, Mike, sitting close to the Mike Hannah, a.k.a. 60K Sloyd. <laughs> and uh, we are joined today by Amy Leak, a.k.a. The Woodmongler. And this is our second take. Um, part of the podcasting journey for Mike and I is, uh, you know, some, some roadblocks, some uh, log jams. We had a little audio issue. We had a great interview a week ago we did with Amy and... Um, my audio on the mic was uh, fully screwed up. So Amy was gracious enough to join us again. Uh, so this is kind of second take. Hopefully it'll be better than our first take. Um, so I want to ask you, Amy, first of all, how did you come up with the name Wood
1: well, it's uh, I had a Facebook account with my real name, Amy League, and then I became a big spoon nerd and I didn't want to be kind of geeking out on my regular account because I was kind of keeping it quiet about being completely obsessed with wooden spoons because it's not your kind of average thing <laughs> for most people, especially kind of 10 years ago. Right. Although I don't know if the Facebook account was quite that long ago, but still, yeah, it wasn't a big thing like it is now. So it's like. It was a bit weird. It's like, <laughs> so I thought I'd just set up a new account where I can just be a weird spoon geek. I love it.
0: It's like your Sloyd <laughs> doppelganger. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. So I set that up as Amy Woodmonger. And then I kind of felt like I couldn't get away from that. And it's a bit weird and quirky. And I don't know. I just kept yeah, it. Yeah. For
0: the longest time, I literally thought that was your last name until I think <laughs> until it might have been until uh, I saw you on Instagram and you had your actual last name. So. For those that are confused out there, it's the same person.
1: Yeah, AKA.
0: (laughs) So Amy, where do you live? And can you tell us a little bit about what your life is like and how, um, as a craftsperson, how you live as a craftsperson?
1: Ooh, so I live in Hastings, which is on the south coast of England, kind of straight southeast from London. Uh, Yeah, right on the coast. Um, which is great. So today I had you know, a hot, sweaty day turning and sorting out bits and pieces of the lathes. So I, yeah, I just had to go down to the beach, go and see. Oh, sea. cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, off. So that was so nice on a day like today when it's boiling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got a workshop in my back garden. I say workshop. It's not really. It's covered area um, made of round wood chestnut poles, which was assembled by um, Richard Ealy, who's on Instagram as Greenwood Craftsman, who just got it all up in a day. Amazing. Mm. He's brilliant, that kind of thing. It would have taken me forever to faff about with it. <laughs> so it's better that he just did it. Uh, so that's just a round wood shelter with a tarp over the yeah. top, which houses my lathe and shave horse and chopping block. That's about it. I can haul other things out of the shed if I need to. To be outside, Um, and I've got a room inside as well for just for finishing things off. Or if it's really cold, I can rough things out outside and then bring Mm, them in. Nice. Um, Yeah, so I live here with my family, my husband Rob, and our two kids who are coming up thirteen and fifteen. And we just got a dog two weeks ago. That's very exciting. (laughs) We're all obsessed with the dog now. She's a stray from Romania. Oh wow. He's, um, yeah, an adult dog. She's lovely. Anyway, yeah, so we're all obsessed and telling everyone about our dog. Um, yeah, so my husband's a musician. Um, I, we met at music college. I was, yeah, we were up at music college in Leeds okay. together. That's where we met. And I got into music teaching after music college. Um, so I still do a tiny bit of that and not very much at right. all now. and. In the lockdown, it pretty much disappeared, and I've just been surviving off my woodwork. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, all the woodworking, teaching disappeared as well. So I've just been kind of a full-time maker. It's the first time I've been a full-time maker with no teaching at all during this period.
0: Kind of like a crash course, Uh, eh? Which
1: was, yeah, well, it was really good, actually. Not to have other things getting in the way, apart from family.
0: Nice.
1: Usual kind of, you know helping kids out, finding their lost email passwords and all the rest of it for their homework. Um, but yeah, it's been really good and really interesting. And now um, all the the courses, yeah, they were all cancelled this year, all the festivals. So I should have been at Scottish Spoon Hooley, um, Northern Bowl Gathering, Bodger's Bowl, Spoonfest, and now Bowl Gathering's been cancelled as well um yes yeah, so and none of that happened and I'd normally going be going to a couple of other things as well um but I, yeah I've just got a few people booked in for just a day here at my place so I can just do kind of one-to-one or two-to-one cool, nice teaching here so yeah
0: a fair bit of teaching and for so, folks that don't know um you're primarily doing a lot of spoons and uh pole laid turn bowls and combs yeah. and other little um I don't know um, I guess toys. Yeah, or the just... the, uh, the dolphins. Are they um are they a toy or are they like a, a pin? Can't remember.
1: Oh, dolphins. Oh, I haven't oh, made any I have made them. Um, I've made whale brooches, brooches. bird brooches, <laughs> little <laughs> hanging birds. yeah most I try and stick to kind of useful things. But you know, occasionally I think of something. You know, with the tools I've got, with the wood I've got, get an idea for something that I can add on to the range of things i make keep things interesting
0: so how did how <laughs> did the journey into spoon carving and bowl turning and kind of the whole Sloyd um lifestyle and now business how mm-hmm. did that all come about for you
1: it's probably started about 10 years ago um and i realized the other day when i was clearing out some magazines some old permaculture magazines that there was quite a few articles in there um, so that's probably where I got the idea from. And I'd always done kind of crafty things, bit of tried out knitting and things like that. Um, and it just clicked, just the spoon carving, just learning to use a knife, learning about the types of wood. Um, and then kind of getting realizing there were other people out there when Spoonfest started and hooking up with Bodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it became a whole community thing, uh, and then, you know, increased the amount online increased as well. So you get kind of more of a feedback, more of a, you know, kind of everyone learning together, the whole community growing. Yeah. so That kind of took off. Yeah. So it spoons first and then, um, bowls after, after quite a while. Of making spoons and other bits and pieces i went and did a day with sharif adams in in devon um just to try it out and see if i'd like like to get into it um which i did yeah so i I was very fortunately given a lathe about six months later by which time i'd forgotten everything that sharif told Mm me of how to do it and there weren't any videos so just kind of just muddling along and just being really rubbish first of all, and knowing that I would get better, (laughs) which fortunately has happened. Still loads to learn, but that's good. It's good to still have plenty of challenges.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to me how a lot of the people that I talk to that are into spoon carving and so on, um, that it's really like the, the internet seems to be the place where people really nowadays dive in. I mean, we talked to Maddie, last month and he got back and he got into yeah. it way back in the day before you know internet was really a big thing people were using mm. so he's like scavenging from here and there um then people like myself and and mike and and yourself and a lot of other people and increasingly more it's like the internet is really what's spreading the green woodworking now especially with places like instagram and like the visually driven um media yeah outlets, I guess, um, where people see things and then they're like, oh, man, wait, they're carving out this with an axe and knife. Holy crap, I can make stuff by hand. And and it seems like it's snowballing now. Um, But I I just find it interesting how that seems to be a really common thread that the internet is like, we're practicing these traditional skills and, you know, tools and techniques. But it's like the internet, this modern, you know, energy intensive system is what's sort of propelling it into the future and almost preserving it for the future. All right.
1: It's it's great that yeah word is spreading kind of far and wide and we're no longer weirdos, we're not yeah. so much anyway. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, there are lots lots more people who get exposed to it. Whereas back in the day, I guess it was probably if you if you went along to kind of country shows, right, things like that probably. Um, so yeah, I did see kind of people demonstrating things early on. I realised there was a wood fair kind of. Yeah, not so far from me. But I went along to and uh, met up with some of the Sussex Bodgers, mm-hmm. who are, yeah, they're a great support network. There are lots and lots of people involved with the Bodgers organization locally to me who meet up really regularly and, yeah, share tips and do some kind of informal teaching and uh, share wood as mm. well. Can you tell
0: us exactly what a bodger is because it it comes up a lot. The term, especially when we're speaking to the the folks in England, um, what does that term exactly mean, and what are what are the type of people that are in a bodger's group?
1: Mm. So the bodgers, really, the strict sense of the word, um, is nothing to do with botching, with spelled B O T C H. (laughs) Um, It's bodging, spelled B O D G E bodge um the bodges were chair makers in the Chiltern woods so kind of west kind of west of london okay. there were there were what well, still are Chiltern woods were full of lots of beech trees um and the bodges would just make the chair legs so they'd be doing on a pole lathe they take their lathe into the wood um i think they'd buy kind of bid on the right to cut the trees in a certain section mm. of the wood each year or each season. Um, yeah, so they'd have the rights to the wood. They'd set up where the wood was, so they'd take their lathe into the woods and and probably set up some kind of shelter, you know, if there was bad weather, uh, and just knock out just masses and masses of chair legs, which would then be sent to the factories to make Windsor chairs, so they'd be assembled there. And the seats made there and all the rest of it. Um, But nowadays, the word bodgers um, is used for kind of anyone doing green woodworking, really, in this country. Um, But specifically, though, for people, it's it's kind of naming people in the association of pole lathe turners and green woodworkers. They call themselves the bodgers. Yeah. So they, they're on, uh, their website is bodgers.org. I think that might be it. Bodgers.org UK, maybe. Anyway, yeah, bodgers.org. I'll probably find it so you can get an idea. So uh, Yeah, so a really active group near me in Kent, only about half an hour away, where we meet up in a guy's woodland. Um, a man called John Burbage, he's got 50-odd acres of woodland and he's set up, He's got kind of big bodges barns kind of open at mm-hmm. the front that he's constructed himself with um, or with chestnut shingles from his nice. land. Yeah, really nice. It's a lovely place, and he's a lovely man.
2: Is this lathe that they use to turn the chair legs, is it very similar to the pole lathe we use for uh, for the bowls, or slightly different?
1: Yeah, it doesn't need to be as sturdy. Yeah. Um, and the main difference difference is the tool rest runs parallel to the workpiece,
0: right? Because they're turning um, tape, they're turning long tapered pieces yeah. of wood instead of a hollow form. Yeah, right, right, right. Got it. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, you can
1: adapt. Yeah, you can have kind of adaptations to make a lathe do both bowls and spindle turning.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that that's. It seems like from a lot of the stuff I've heard out of England that. um it's almost like because I would assume that those those spindles would have then gone into what, like places like London or some of the other bigger cities across the country for the different chair makers. Is that right?
1: I don't know. Well, they're called Windsor Chairs. So I th- I, I kind of presume they were in that area. So kind of west of okay. London. But yeah, I'm not too sure where the factories actually were, but I guess not too far so away. So, in a lot of
0: ways, in terms of like modern history, the bodgers um are kind of like the forefathers of the green woodworking movement and that was kind of fueled by this like industrial uh almost like a cottage industry i guess would be the way to describe it
1: it was yeah and it kind of died out in the oh i'm not sure when actually maybe the 1940s i think when more electric lathes became available uh and then then revived by people like mike abbott he was a big part in kind of instrumental in writing books that made people aware of right pole yeah
0: um when we talked uh, to maddie it was mike Abbott's book was mm-hmm. like the bible uh and where he learned how to do all these different things and he literally taught a course out of mike abbott's book after knowing it for what like a few days or something so yeah. um it seems yeah. like mike is he you can trace a lot back to mike abbott and his influence yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah he was very instrumental in spreading word and i think there were people like drew langsner yeah. in america yeah. i don't know i haven't got his book yeah. but um definitely country woodworking yep. country woodworking yeah and a few other people around that time i think kind of early 80s maybe yeah,
0: yeah. he was even back in the not even sure in the history. 70s he would drew langsner was right. um he traveled the world with his wife to go and learn from some of these like dying, you know, cultures where they still made almost everything. Uh, themselves. His work is definitely in, in. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like equal Mike Abbott and Drew Langsner, as far as I understand, kind of their influence on both of these parts of the world. Um, and we really need those are two people we need to get on the podcast because they're like everything can get traced oh, back yeah. to them. And I just read today from Peter Follinsby's blog that uh, Drew Langsner suffered uh, some sort of heart issues and had surgery so um so yeah it's kind of crazy like you know there's like this next generation and the old generation we need to capture their stories before for sure it's too late yeah definitely um for sure yeah so that's yeah that's really cool it's i just i feel like the more we talk to folks in england um i feel like the thread is pretty strong right or it's pretty clear that like the bodgers and then some of these other people that sort of pulled a lot of their inspiration and knowledge out of that uh activity you know, before World War II, and that's sort of how it's propelling itself now with the internet into the the next generation, I guess, if you will, of the of the screen woodworking and spoon carving and so on. Um, but before I get ahead of myself with yeah. all these questions, I did I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Um, so we've got in front of us five issues of uh magazine, which Emmett von Driesch was kind enough to send to me. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out to him because on the spring of 2020 issue uh the cover is amy herself turning a bowl Mm -hmm. and um there's some really beautiful pictures in here of your work uh there's actually a very nice picture of i assume this is your town looking out on the ocean yeah colorful moss-covered roofs with uh red and white and blue buildings looks like a really charming village not I mean, there's very few places in the state that I've seen that look like this. Maybe in New England, there's some places that look kind of like that, but it just seems like. A... Uh,
1: yeah, so that's the old town. I don't actually. Oh, you do that okay. well... <laughs>
0: That's
1: a bit, I wish I lived. Well, in... it's. I lived in the in the slightly grotty a bit, the cheaper part okay, of town. Well... I couldn't afford to live in the old town. But yeah, that is, that is my town. Cool. it
0: looks very, very, um, I don't know, quintessentially British seaside. <laughs> Um, and then we also have in front of us, a spoon that I had bought from you, I want to say like 2014, um, it's a little teaspoon. It's got a gold heart carved on the top, which is why I bought it for my wife, Mm -hmm. um, as a gift for her. And, um, it's the only piece of work I have from you. So, you know, everything else I know is through these pictures, through Instagram and so on. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that your work has a really, it's just a really unique um design element to it but then just sort of like the creativity and the the i don't know the spirit of it i guess is just very playful and um i don't know sleek is not the right word um well proportioned and we were talking last time how it's like uh it just seems like your work is influenced by maybe like the elves and the fairies in the woods. It's like kind of something that they, I I could picture them, you know, with one of your handled bowls with the green paint on it. And. Yeah. um, I like that idea. So I just wanted to ask you, um, what is, what is your inspiration for a lot of your work? Um, how do you, you know, how do you come up with the different designs and forms that you like to explore? Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: so I, I, get quite excited about Swedish woodwork like a lot of people yeah. old Swedish stuff yeah. um and yeah I've been to Lithuania a couple of times and they have kind of similar traditions some lovely stuff there um just really folksy and kind of loved I guess you are know, you know stuff in the museums is always kind of really well worn it's really nice and I kind of that's what I hope my wooden well will look like in a long time.
0: Well, that
1: it's been really well loved and well this used. This spoon definitely
0: uh, speaks to that. It's got a really nice patina on the bowl. And um, one of the things I really like <laughs> about it, and I like this about all woodenware, is over time the facets, um, they almost become better. So the back of the spoon has some really nice long facets that follow the the length of the bowl. Um, and it's just got a really nice, yeah. the wood is, um, I think we just figured out it was hornbeam, I think you said.
1: Yeah, I think it um, might be. So, yeah, if it's kind of a palish yeah, one. Yeah, so
0: it's kind of pale, but with use, the it's kind of a ring porous wood. So the the pores have darkened a fair bit, but the wood is still nice and kind of golden yeah. color. But anyways, it just it definitely like if if anyone just picked this up, which people often come into my house and they'll we have a drawer at the moment. We have a drawer where all of our wooden spoons live, and people just kind of you know rummage through it and pick one to eat with. Um, hmm. And I don't know. I just I just feel like to the unbeknownst person this would hearken to something like a relic maybe you know like oh wow how how old is this room i mean it's very well used um and just the design it's just kind of timeless yeah folksy and um i don't know just very enjoyable right.
1: great that's lovely to hear thank you
0: yeah it's
1: beautiful uh, stuff yeah so i find kind of find inspiration all over the place as well and um ceramics i really like looking at ceramics um,
0: yeah, last last conversation yeah. you told us about a term, I haven't been able to do much research on it, but um, that you get a lot of inspiration from mudlarkers.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the bowl handles I've made, I got very excited when I saw um, a mudlarker called Ted Sandling, who's got a great book called London in Fragments, mm. I think, um, which uh, kind of takes like a page on a specific item he's found. So it's normally broken bits and pieces. And then he really delves into the history and puts the background behind each Mm. item, you know, so there was a lot of trade going on. Um, so there are things from kind of all around the world coming in. Um, but anyway, he found a, a porringer handle, a ceramic porringer handle with just a really sweet kind of funky shape. You know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's very handmade looking. Um, and so I, yeah the first one i made was a wooden version kind of as close as i could get um to that which didn't really work so then i just started playing around with that kind of with the bumps mm-hmm. and kind of developed my own thing so i've got a whole folder of different bumpy handle templates
0: oh, cool.
1: nice <laughs> so sometimes you know it's so uh i've been making the five bump ones recently and they're kind of similar size so quite often i can use a template that i've used before but quite often i have to make new templates for like the ones with the four corners or things like that
0: yeah right now we're looking at the photo in spoonosaurus with there's three three of the handle bowls and they have the
2: five kind of scallops with some holes drilled in them um yeah or the holes intended for you know hanging hanging the uh, woodenware off of a hook or something or just kind of a design feature that you like
1: yeah, I kind I of like it. But then there's the option, you know, you could thread something through it and hang it off or whatever. Yeah, you, or, yeah, it's got a, I don't know if it would work so well with a, like a nail on a wall or you something. You can make a neck ball. it would be sticking out quite far. But anyway, yeah, it's just there as an option and it looks nice.
0: Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> it attractive. Sure does. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> you mentioned that the bodgers are an important part of your material sourcing can you tell us a little bit you know you're mm-hmm. i guess the at least this is the image i get is you live in a pretty a relatively densely populated area so you don't you i think you you mentioned that your workshop is in your garden right or is that just a term yeah yard yeah
1: yeah that's it yeah my back garden it's not a huge back garden but enough room for for that and a still a patch of garden growing veg and things uh yeah i get a lot of my wood from the bulges. Or I get tip-offs from them. So they'll, you know, if they hear about a farmer who's taking down a load of nice straight green sycamore or a farmer who's taking down an orchard of cherry Mm -hmm. trees, then, you know, they'll kind of spread the word around. Um, Yeah, so quite often it's it's free wood. um, But, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, I pay a bit for bowl wood because I want to be able to select the the stuff that's going to be most suitable. So usually sycamore. Um, beach is great when I can get it. But I can't often. There isn't a lot of beach growing around here. Um, yeah, it's lovely when it does come along. That's my favorite wood. Oh, yeah, that's one of ours for uh, bowls.
2: Yeah, we, there's not much yeah. of it that grows here in the states.
1: So, what are your favorite woods for bowls?
2: Cherry. Yeah, <laughs> cherry and, and maple, which is what you call it—sycamore. Yeah. I think the, the term is different here in America. We call similar. Uh, yeah, we call sycamore uh, maple. And there's different types of maple, soft maple, hard maple. Yeah, those are probably the two. Yeah,
0: so your
1: ones. your cherry trees are really big ones. Yeah, so we
0: have we yeah. have a native black cherry, it's uh, Prunus yeah. virginiana, and um, they get they can get very large, um, up to three foot diameter for an old an older yeah. growth one. Which you don't see the, around mm-hmm. here, you don't see those a whole lot. It's not a, it, I mean, it's a very valuable timber if it's grown well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have, actually, in this part of Virginia, uh, ornamental cherries are also super common. People plant them on their driveways or in their landscaping. Um, so, like last uh, last winter, I think it was, I got a, a beautiful six foot, super clear, it's probably like twenty two inch mm-hmm. diameter or ornamental cherry log from a friend who's a mm-hmm. uh, um, tree trimmer. So you come across those too. But yeah, just in the woods, I mean, they're everywhere. That's kind of like a, it's one of the one of the main species we have we also have a lot of um i mean i turn a fair bit of tulip poplar which is a really nice uh it's it's very similar to birch in a lot of ways um in terms of its density so it's it's a hardwood but it's kind of softer and it's very nice for turning and uh well it's it's it it can be very nice for turning i should say it that way because it can also be a nightmare (laughs) depending on how wet it is and it's one of those woods that's best when it it sits uh, well, actually, no, I shouldn't right. say. It's one of the ones that's best to turn while it's like sop- sopping wet. wet, and then uh, yeah, yeah, I've turned it. Work. So yeah, it
2: works best. Those way. are kind of the ones that we yeah. use the most. Um, I, I've turned some black walnut. I'm not sure if that's a, a species that grows in, the, in the UK, but it does. No, have
1: we only we only have um, kind of ornamental
2: walnut.
1: Oh. Uh, yeah, not not yeah, a lot you, around you the... really. It's it's normally just a few planted right. very. Rare to get you hold of the any walnut.
0: walnut. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it, The wood thing is that could be like a whole episode to itself. Just talking about wood. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should one maybe yeah. We should get like someone from several different um, continents, and we should just talk about wood because yeah, it's such a cool <laughs> topic, and there's so many different overlaps and differences, um, and like availability. So here, wood is in a lot of ways, it's it's such a. I mean, I, I know this is true across the planet, but we live right at the edge of the Blue Ridge Mountains which are called that because they're covered with trees. Um, And then the light here and the way the atmosphere is, they actually look, I'm looking out my window right now, I can see one of the smaller ones. And they have a bluish hue to them Mm. because they're just covered with deciduous trees for the most part. And we live about eight miles uh, south of a a massive Georgia Pacific cardboard plant. So every day I, I see dozens of tractor trailers full of logs or full of wood chips. The trees in a lot of ways are just, I mean, it's the way a lot of people around here make a living. It's from just cutting down acres of trees every single day. Yep, Mm -hmm. Firewood. Firewood, chipwood, um, lumber. There's a few lumber mills. So I guess what I'm getting at is sometimes it seems like here, to the average person, wood's not even a scarce resource. It's just sort of like, you know. Yeah. That's true. Um, And the sense I get in my mind, looking at England, I mean, it's an island, so you only have so many you know so much landmass to grow things um what is it like in terms of sourcing wood even though you live in an area where there aren't trees you can go cut yourself necessarily what is it, what is no. the view of wood in in just the general british culture is it similar like it's just sort of not even though even though it is a more of a scarce resource because of your geology what's what's kind of the take on that
1: yeah <laughs> You can't um, just go and cut wood from anywhere. So um, woodland is always owned by someone. Right. Um, and, and increasingly, uh, woodlands are being sold off in small parcels for people who just want to have a patch of yeah, woodland, cool. you know, to go and camp or just go hang out or, you know, do a bit of maintenance or have it for the wildlife, whatever. So increasingly, it's being sold off in really quite small parcels um of maybe only you know kind of five acres or even smaller up to kind of whatever you know you do get some slightly bigger parcels as well but a lot of it is just kind of five to ten acres um yeah so it means there are people around who own patches of woodland so if you know them that's great um so i do know yeah a few people with patches of woodland um so most of it's coppiced Mm. in this country so um yeah cutting the tree down to, down to a stump and then it sprouts up mm-hmm. again. so you get you know a continual harvest and the roots stay strong. Uh, the new shoots come up nice and straight and clean. Uh, so there's a lot of that um, that kind of management uh, for chestnut mm-hmm. woodland around here in particular. So chestnut is um, good kind of rock resistant wood, so it's used for fencing mostly. So you get nice, straight, clean poles, which can just be, you know, split down into fencing. Um, And in other areas, it's hazel more, which is used for, like, beam poles and things. And maybe, like, mm, would have been used for wattle and daub, I think, in the past. And kind of fencing, a different kind of fencing, like woven fencing Mm -hmm. panels. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: It's kind of interesting how you guys... uh, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so it's... there aren't kind
1: of patches of wilderness around here. You know, it's all managed. Um, right. And a lot of our wood for, you know, kind of everyday construction and things like that comes from comes from Europe, comes from Finland right. and yeah, yeah. Lithuania and that kind That's of thing. It's so gets shipped in kind of softwoods.
0: So it's yeah. in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar, but um, I guess here we have a lot of national forest. Yeah. Um, we do. Mike would know about that Mike's a park ranger so he spends a lot of time ah, up on uh, government great. land you know and you can't
2: cut wood up there can you you can get a permit to harvest firewood from trees that have already oh, really been. yeah, yeah that been. that's very different here yeah you can't yeah the hear. trees the trees have to be storm filled um in order for you to, oh, to okay. harvest the wood um otherwise mm-hmm. you don't have permission to cut um fresh wood and we usually yeah. we usually you know this the trees that have been storm built we we cut and a limb in smaller portions and leave on the side of the road and anybody from the local community can come and pick up uh that wood to use for for firewood or for mm. whatever yeah, and oh, it's mostly hardwood it's you know, yeah. different types of oaks and locusts yeah and so forth yeah mm.
0: yeah, it's interesting how it's really interesting how geography and geology and all like how ecology really um influences the way that we do these crafts because, you know, like in, I, I mean, I, am I guess I could be considered anglophile. Um, I've done a lot of, I used to watch a lot of, I had a, a way to download, um, British TV shows and I would just like try and find as much stuff as I could that related to my interests. Um, and there's a, I forget the guy's name, Sean something, I think. And he had a series on one of the British channels where he bought a woodland and it was like, you know, five or six episodes. And the whole thing was about him buying this woodland and showing how just someone that has no experience in the woodland could buy this, you know, overgrown, untended uh, bit of land that was had been managed with coppice at some point in the near uh, past. And then it just shows him taking it back over. And um, I just get this, I mean, again, I'm like watching, it's like, what is it actually like? But I get the sense that there is, just like I think here in the States, there is this movement of people that... Um, probably more and more now too with like the quarantines and stuff and people in cities are thinking like, man, in the city, I don't have much security of anything. uh, So maybe I should invest in some land. Um, But yeah, it just seems like there is like a small or maybe medium sized movement of people that are trying to figure out how to do these things again and um, take care of these resources.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. It's hard to know how things are going because, yeah, a lot of bought up by people who don't really intend to kind of manage the woodland, they kind of leave it for wildlife.
2: Yeah, I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
2: <laughs> That's what we do. We, my wife and I, we live on on a little over seven acres, and it's mostly wooded. And we've just our whole intention was to just leave it wooded for the wildlife and just for the trees to, mm. to grow and, and and thrive. So
1: Yeah. There's a really interesting project here, which I'd like to find out more about in physics. It's not too far from me, called NEP Farm, hmm. I think it's called, which would be interesting for you guys to look into, where they've rewilded a whole farm nice. that was, it had been kind of intensively farmed and the crop this. yields were going down. Yeah, so it's, yeah, they've left it to nature and kind of reintroduced, try and recreate some world type environments so putting pigs in just leaving them to right. root around the whole farm and do their yep. thing yeah, I, I
0: have read and about
1: this. Yep. and yeah reintroduce certain species yeah that's very interesting anyway I don't know enough
0: about that's it that's really. actually that's a lot of <laughs> just going off on a tangent yeah we could go off a million tangents that's a lot of what yeah. our farm that my wife and I live on is actually like um so wow. we have, yeah we have a lot of um rewilding actually in our neighborhood here or like, well, for a long time, this farm was like people. I have all the we're the talk of the town for. We probably still are, but just people don't understand what's going <laughs> on here because there's trees growing in the pasture, and like around here, you're supposed to bush hog them and herbicide them, and you know, yeah. trim your fence line yeah. and stuff. And um, but anyways, yeah, I don't want to go off in the weeds too much. That we again, that could a whole episode <laughs> on just that <laughs> could be. We could take it. Yeah.
2: Um, Let's talk a little bit about pole lathe turning, Amy. I, I wanted to ask you yeah. about your, um, you spoke a little bit about your journey with pole lathe turning and how you got started uh, and you're studying with Sharif. Are you currently mm. um, forging your own tools or are you, are you sourcing them from elsewhere and how has that yeah. changed for you over the years? Uh, yeah, so I
1: started off with some of Sharif's tools which I quite quickly broke (laughs) and sharpened really badly (laughs) to the point they weren't really (laughs) useful. So yeah, I had to figure out how to make my own tools. So I've just got a little gas forge. Um, but also I go along, I've got a couple of friends who have, well, not big forges, you know, just little portable forges and they've got more space to do it and they've got decent, um, anvils. So yeah, quite often I'll go along and have a day with one of those guys, um, where I can, make noise without worrying about the no- neighbors uh but yeah i do have my own forge so i can do little bits and pieces if i need to and okay. just a bit of railway track as an anvil which isn't great and i need to sort out a better base for it because so it's on a wobbly <laughs> base at the moment it's really not good but anyway yeah, yeah. so making bowl hooks is it's simple right. but complex at the same time you know it's easy to make the hooks which is great because um I didn't want to get sucked into blacksmithing, (laughs) you know, getting this forge. I thought, no, it's another thing, you know, going to go down another rabbit hole and get distracted from what I really want to be doing, which is the woodwork. But no, fortunately, that hasn't happened. And I just make bowl hooks. I'm not getting distracted by anything else.
0: I'm I'm laughing because Mike, um, that's literally Mike's story. I mean, it's cool because...
1: (laughs) Well, getting distracted. I wouldn't say distracted, but like...
0: um, Finding
1: well,
2: the, it's one of open, his passions, I the tangent, Oh yeah, for sure. I bounced around yeah. quite a bit, but you know, I started making poly, uh hooks out of necessity because I, I mean, yeah. I bought my first set like you, uh, not from Sharif, but from Adrian Lloyd. I think you're familiar with him. Yeah, uh, I got my yeah, first no, right. set from him and uh, you know, the currency exchanges quite a bit for us <laughs> here. Um, so when I bought the hooks, I'm like, wow, these mm. better last me for at least five years. And <laughs> sure enough, you know, I was like, ooh, uh-oh, I ruined them, sharpened them incorrectly, so I had to <laughs> start making my own. And uh, just like you, I got started with a railroad track anvil, and then me and Mark got together and started forging our own, our own hooks. And now I'm just like, you know, I love blacksmithing. It's one of my passions as well, aside you know, from greenwood working. So. But they, kinda, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. They're, you know, they're so interconnected. You know, it's, it's nice to be yeah. able to make your own tool go go and use it and figure out if you need to you know fine-tune it and just be able to go back to the forge you know next door and enforce something different or grind it differently or whatever it is you need to do to get the tool working uh, properly so it is kind of nice to have that aspect uh, to green yeah
1: absolutely yeah so my approach was just to make a bunch of you know just simple hookup tools and just find out which one works the best and try and work out why that works best and then you make another batch and find the best one from that right that batch and yeah that's how I've done it because I'm kind of not going to and fro from the lathe to the to the from the forging so much really you know I tend to have a day forging and then try them out a day or two later yeah
0: that's the same for me I, I I don't have a we have a lathe on our farm but it's it's not it's at the drive to it and it's just not I can't just bang out a, a, a hook and then quickly use it, which is what Mike's setup is just like that. I mean, his, his forge mm. is, you know, five, six feet from his lathe, um, which is yeah. really nice. But I, I actually, I feel like if I had that, I would probably get distracted a lot more. And um, um, <laughs> it's nice because I can, I can spend time like thinking, what do I actually need this hook to be like and make notes? And then when I mm-hmm. go to the forge, I usually draw yeah. sketches um, when I'm on the lathe I'll actually, most recently, I've been using just uh, like thin gauge wire, because I've been trying to I've try, been trying to really get nesting hooks down, um, which are really challenging. Nesting itself is challenging, but you, without mm. the right tool for your setup, it's especially frustrating. So I've used a wire, and when I'm on the lathe, I'll make some wire templates. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe maybe yeah, draw some sketches, and then when I go to the forge. I'll use those as my, like I'll literally just follow that form. Um, and it works out pretty well most of the time. Um, yeah, but I just think that's one of the cool things about pole lathe turning, (laughs) excuse me, from spoon carving because to make spoon carving tools is like a whole nother, Mm. it's like a whole nother level of tooling that you need. Um, and just the skill level is just so much. It's just like several notches above with this, with this pole lathe turning hooks. Um, so I think it's, I just feel like it's really interesting how most pole lathe learners I feel like they end up dabbling at least. Um, was that something that you were taught by Sharif when you, when you learned with him or was it something
2: you
1: learned no, later? Uh, no, I did a bit with Matty, Matty Whitaker. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 So he's, yeah, well, he, you've had a podcast with him. Yeah. With his hand cranked oh, setup. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
0: And the video, the video, um, the video yeah. he has on his yeah, YouTube, so is just, it's so cool to, just to see it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, Matt is great. Yeah, and he's a great singer, which you wouldn't have known from the podcast with him. So you need to have him back on to sing for you. Next time. He's a lovely singer. He's oh, he's got an amazing voice, and he's really strong and heartfelt. And yeah, so that's one of the amazing things about you know the kind of woodworking get-togethers that there are throughout the year. You know the different festivals, the music. It's so good. It's lovely. Um, Yeah, Sharif's a fiddle player as well. Jane Mickabra, mm. sorry. <coughs> sorry. Yeah, Jane and Peter Mickabra are amazing singers. And yeah, there's lots of other people as well. So that's a really nice aspect about kind of Woody get together. Yeah, for sure. Around the campfire.
0: we Mike and I have been trying to create more opportunities for that around here, just in our local area. Because I. I've been to North House Folk School. That's where I learned pole aid turning from Mm. Robin Wood. And um, it was really my first time being around a bunch of people that were into green woodworking. Um, I mean, I've been around people that I introduced it to, but it's not the same as being around people that have been doing it independently. Mm. And you not only do you get like their take and expertise and experience and all that stuff, but I've also found the same to be true, that the people that are into green woodworking tend to just be really cool people to hang out with. They're really the music is a big part of that kind of person, I guess. That yeah, drinking is very popular. Um, yeah. There's um
1: <laughs> always a few kind of interesting homebrews around.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's just cool. And you and it seems like in the UK you have a lot of opportunities for that. And just uh, was it past I think it was last weekend was yeah. would have been Spoonfest. And
2: yeah. <clears throat> you had written yeah. a lot
0: recently in your Instagram post about um i guess in summation it's a lot about how important that is to you as a spoon carver mm. and how important it seems like it is to the the woodworking the green woodworking community in england and i i mean i know mike and i are inspired by just the videos we see in the pictures it just looks so fun oh, for sure so um yeah how does Spoonfest <laughs> fit into your whole experience as a, a spoon oh carver? gosh
1: yeah well that it just massively improved me so Um, Yeah, I hadn't been going for that long, really, before Spoonfest started up. I'd just been kind of muddling along. There wasn't an awful lot on the internet. There was um, Robin Wood's blog. Right, yeah. And the old Bodger's forum. um, And maybe a couple of other blogs as well, but not a lot out there. Um, And so, yeah, Barn and Robin started up Spoonfest and... It was amazing. Yeah. So getting in people like Fritjof mm. and Jared, Fritjof Ronald, that is, mm-hmm. from Sweden, and Jared Dole from America, um, Jan-Harm mm-hmm. from Holland, um, he's another regular. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so people who had been doing it for a long time and had some real expertise behind them. And then there were kind of a bunch of us who hadn't been doing it that long, so people like me and Jane Micklebrough. Um, Dan Lawrence, um, Tom Bart. Yeah. I think we we probably started around the same time. Oh, cool. um, yeah, so we were just all there, just being completely in spoon geek heaven, um, <laughs> and <sighs> just learning so much from those guys. And then every year, the the standard has gone up so right. much, while still you know welcoming in new people. Um, and yeah, every year there's, there's new talent, you know, there's, there's the spoon table where spoons can be sold. Um, every year it's packed with more and more <laughs> new people kind of doing exciting things Lovely. and, and spoons that look so different in real life. That's amazing yeah. as well. Mm. So you think from the internet, that you you get an idea of what a spoon's like and you've really got to hold them in your hand. And ideally, put them in your mouth. I don't think we'll be able to do that anymore in coronavirus times. Um, but yeah, I'm normally the sneaky person, like, putting some in <laughs> my hilarious. mouth to try them out. <laughs> or just imagining, yeah, just putting them up to my mouth <laughs> to imagine what they're going to be like to use, at least.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we say we say give it a tongue ride before you, you do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you,
1: know,
2: you, you yeah. don't you don't
0: buy a car without test driving. Yeah? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's so cool. Yeah. um I mean, yeah, it's, I can't imagine being there because just seeing the pictures, I get so amped up. We're going to be <laughs> there one day. <laughs> yeah. That's the hope. Okay. So that's cool. You've got to meet a lot of different people that have a lot of experience and have, you know, like run Runhall. I mean, he was, when I first got into yeah. this, it was Robin and Jared were the two that really sparked my interest. And then when I saw Fritjof's work, I mean, there's just something about mm. his spoons that are just so, I don't know. Well, just so yeah. magical looking and I've never even held one. Actually, no, I've, held yeah, couple, I've held a couple at uh, Jared's house before, uh-huh. but, um, yeah, I just can't imagine being around all that energy and, and just seeing the way people are, are going about it. Um, I feel like just being there, you would just pick up just, just not even, <clears throat> just by being there, you'd pick up a lot,
2: uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: How many people do you think attend, um, Every year, I mean, obviously you've, you've how many years I have think, you been going and have you seen a uh, dramatic yeah. increase in, in people attending?
1: No, they limit the numbers. Oh, okay. So that's why it sells out so quickly. So every year it just sells out quicker because it's wow. limited to about 300 or something, I think.
2: Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's um, still a lot of people. So there is car, so
1: right? much more demand there. Huh. They could sell it several times over, but then it wouldn't be the same event at all. Exactly. It would change the character. So I think they want to you know, keep the feel of it the same Absolutely. and limit the numbers like
0: that. So, um, yeah, Spoonfest is just, again, we we, sh- we can do a Spoonfest episode. I mean, it's just endless possibilities. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see. So some of the other things you make are these beautiful combs, and I feel like combs are a pretty unique mm. thing. They're probably a very tricky thing to make. I just started playing around with forks, um, which, you know, not the same function, but it's similar making process. Can you tell us about the combs, how you thought to start making combs and what's, what are some of the nuances of making a comb? Like that you need to know from a design aspect. So it's going to function well.
1: Mm, yes. I started making combs after I went to Lithuania, um, and met Algirdas girdus mm. um, whose work I did really admired. Uh, seen it on Facebook. Uh, so he was a a carver, a figurative carver, um, carving mainly saints in the wow. Lithuanian tradition, and then he got into green woodworking. So he kind of brought that knowledge to the green woodworking. Oh. And nowadays he makes all sorts of things. He makes um, yeah, still the kind of figurative carving, as well as spoons and um, birds. Really beautiful birds. So flying birds and bird whistles and little kind of folksy toys and things. Yeah. So he makes the combs. So, yeah, I got inspired by him. Uh, So he makes them with quite traditional Lithuanian patterns on them. Um, Although he's he's very inventive. You know, he'll, he'll come up with loads of his own patterns as well, but kind of based in that tradition uh yeah so he makes his in a slightly different way that he's using a saw um with another saw blade bolted onto it to get the teeth spacing Mm. um so it's a blank saw blade it's like have the teeth cut off or it's turned around the other way or something Mm. um yes he saw the first cut and then the the other saw the blank saw blade is resting in that cut to guide you on the next one and he just goes along like that um, I do mine in a different way because I had a treadle saw, so I just thought, oh, well, I can use right. that. Um, yeah, so I started doing them on that. So I just marked them out and saw up and down each tooth, okay. leaving a bit of a gap. And then I'll sand between them to shape them okay. more.
0: So you don't actually carve You don't actually um, carve the teeth once you've sawn them?
1: Yes, yeah, so I saw them and then I sand them to the right thickness. Okay. And then I beveled the tooth on oh, each okay. side. Oh, right. As well. Take the corners off. Yeah, which makes it work a lot yeah, better. Yeah, snag. Yeah, snag. Yeah, so that's yeah, so that just with a little knife, just running that down, uh, which kind of limits the width of them, because <laughs> there's only so far I can reach sure. before I start, you know, getting in the way. And, yeah, so they're kind of six centimetres wide. Um, yeah, kind of stuck with that width. And about nine and a half centimetres tall. Mm. So I got quite long teeth because right. I found that works, and they're kind of based on the size of Algierus's. Actually, or the one I've got, he makes some bigger ones as well, but kind of similar to his smaller ones, the size of them. Um, yeah, with the long teeth, it really it works well. Um, I started t- making the teeth slightly wider spaced than the first ones okay. were because I just found that worked better. You know, just the ones that I use and carry around, and yeah. They work better and better for a, more of a variety of hair types. So, as do well. you
0: use do you use your gums uh, on your own hair?
1: Yeah, of course <laughs> I do.
0: I would only hope so. I just don't want to...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well they're nice and small and flat to carry around. You know, if you've got a bag, right. you don't want to carry around a big bulky hairbrush, really. Exactly. So they're great for traveling or just if you're taking a small bag out and about somewhere. And, yeah, I just use them anyway.
0: And so the one I'm looking at right now, it has um, kind of like a four-leaf clover design cut from the middle of it and two little hearts and then some chip carving on the the face of it.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, do you...
1: Yeah, that was based on uh, one that I haven't seen in real life, but it was in um, it's in the Victorian Albert Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the original is made of bone, and it's Anglo-Saxon, yeah. 8th century.
2: Wow,
1: um uh, that's, that's so nice. so that the original was a lot wider and narrower huh. does that make sense <laughs> w- wider with shorter teeth. Right, yeah yeah it's kind of the different yeah and mine's taller yeah. um yeah so I just kind of adapted that design and tweaked it around a bit
0: do you decorate all of your homes?
1: yeah because they're more fun right <laughs> yeah I
0: feel like if they weren't it just wouldn't it wouldn't have the same Yeah, it'd be vibe boring.
1: It. No. Sure. No. Yeah, so quite a few just kind of geometric kind of triangles and things like yeah, that.
0: They're very this one's very um, really nice
1: design. I've been doing some with um bees and blossom recently mm-hmm. and little kind of heart type things. Cool. Heart plants.
0: And then it yeah, seems like decoration fun. is definitely one of the signatures of your work, um, in my at least in my mind. Um, we also have these spoons. Is this something you do a lot of the spoons with the cutout of the bird in them?
1: Yeah. Well, that's the last time I went to Lithuania. They had some bird cherry knocking Mm. around and, and I, uh, there was a book with pictures of distaffs in, so distaffs are a a thing that slot onto the end of a, um, spinning wheel Mm. and kind of hold the fiber before it's spun. And they were given as love tokens. There are, there are loads of distaffs in their museums and, yeah, in this book I was looking at um, with lovely, all sorts of designs, loads of chip carving and, you know, cutouts yeah. and things like that. So there was one with a bird cutout um, that I was looking at in this book. And then there was some bird cherry lying around. So I thought, ah, oh, well, I've got to make a bird cherry bird spoon
0: that's awesome with a bird in the middle yeah they're lovely and then you've got a little chip carving uh, almost like like a flower around the outside and some details to the feathers and the maybe the, the head yeah
1: yeah just some simple details
0: that's lovely
1: <laughs> yeah so I like a bit of decoration and y- y- just a bit yeah I don't well I hope I don't get too over the top. anyway
0: that's no I, I, not. I think it's just You know, it's interesting. There seems to be a debate kind of in the spoon carving world. I don't know if it's explicit or not. I come across it myself. You know, there's maybe there's like a couple schools. There's like the one school. It's got to be functional and so on and so forth. And then there's sort of like Mm. the other end, which is like super, you know, elaborate and chip carved. And, um, you know, it's kind of two different ends of the spectrum. Um, But I've Mm. always been drawn to a little bit of decoration myself. And um, Mm. I think the way you do it is really, it's not like, I don't know. It's not uh, braggadocious or like it really it really fits (laughs) with the form itself. And it's subtle enough that it's subtle and playful enough that it just adds so much more charm to the whole thing. Really. Um, Right. You know, like you said, with the comb, if it was just a flat piece of wood, it's like, well, you know, anybody could make that. But to add your touch to it, it makes it so much more special. And, you know,
1: yeah, I just want to make things that make people smile, really. That's the aim. Um, yeah, and if, so function's always got to come first, you know. I'm not interested in anything that doesn't function sure. well. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So kind of, you know, the love spoon side of things doesn't really <laughs> float my boat. It's got, yeah, it's got to work well as the object. For sure. It, yeah.
2: you know Function and design. Sure. Amy, if you had yeah. to pick between making a comb, carving a spoon, <laughs> or turning a bowl, which one would it be? <laughs> what What drives That's your me. passion? What drives your oh, passion? It... And If you had to pick one, why would you pick that one?
1: You know what? It depends on the weather and what (laughs) wood I've got.
2: (laughs) So if it's really, really cold
1: weather, well, if it's really cold weather, I don't really want to go outside and turn a bowl. So it's like I can nip outside and axe a spoon out, and then I can be sitting inside. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, I can't cheese. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, it just depends what wood I've got as well, because sometimes I run out of decent bowl wood, and then, you know, I've always got something else I can right. make.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: so that's factored into it. So
0: diversity is the spice of life. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you told us yeah. um, last time that your combs tend to come from your bowl blanks and you're taking off the inner growth rings. Yeah. I think that's cool too, because now you're yeah, now you've taken right. something that would just be, you know, mulch or... Kindling, and now it's a whole new thing. That's you your value adding. And as a farmer, myself, that's like the that is. If you're going to be a small scale farmer, you have to figure out your value added angle. Really, Mm -hmm. to to maximize your uh, profit potential. Um, So, from a business standpoint, very smart. From a uh, you know resource standpoint, you're using every last little bit. Um, And I'm guessing that also the orientation of the grain from that cut, because you're splitting it down uh the radial plane of the log that's going to make your tines of the comb it's going to give them their strength
1: mm-hmm. yeah so I'm, it's always radial and with straight grain bits you know mm-hmm. yeah won't really bother if it's anything kind of knotty kinky going on it's got to be very straight right. um because you don't want the teeth to walk
0: oh yeah that's very important
1: Uh yeah. And so combs aren't so time sensitive as well. You know, bowl wood's gotta be in the right, right. condition. It's got to have the right level of moisture. Um, but if what you know, if I split out these bits for combs, then I can just let, let them dry and that doesn't right. matter. You know, they're just thin bits of wood which are easy to draw easy enough to draw a knife when they're dry. Anyway.
0: So you can just stockpile those while so, you're making bowl blanks and
1: Yeah, so I've got a big pile in my shed at the moment. Which at some point will get sorted through when I've run out of bulwark or run out of combs to sell or whatever
0: <laughs> that's awesome um another thing I, I totally botched it on the intro but the uh brooches um i, I said dolphin but they're, they're whales um i don't know where i got i, I, I think dolphins in my mind because yesterday i posted a picture of a spoon that's like a dolphin spoon um but anyways um what are brooches and i, I saw those on your website and I, I, i've noticed a lot of people are making kind of animal things recently there was a the people turning them on the lathe and like splitting them out uh little like segments from a log and i don't know if oh, you saw
1: that yeah um, i haven't tried that that's a tricky thing yeah that's in robin wood's book is
0: it oh I haven't, um I haven't, so I
1: haven't robin wood that. wrote a really great book called the yeah, wooden bowl awesome um yeah yeah so he's you know bowl turner who's inspired a lot of people to start turning on pole lathe um Yeah, it's in his book. Uh, It's in Germany, I think, Uh, where I don't think necessarily on a pole lathe, maybe maybe traditionally it was done on a steam-powered lathe or Mm. something, water-powered, not sure, Um, where a ring is turned with the profile of a particular animal Mm. in so that when you split it down into segments, you've got individual animals that just need carving with a knife Mm. to kind of round them off a bit. Yeah. So I think uh yeah, Joaf's done some and Jeff, Jeff yeah, Hannes yeah. has done some dinosaurs. Yeah.
0: Is that how you do the is that how yeah. you do the whales as well? Or are the whales uh carve
1: Oh no, no, they're just um so that's the kind of thing that can be bowl waste as okay. well. Um, yeah, so just draw a knife down, just draw draw a knife a bit of sycamore down and then cut it out with the treadle mm. saw.
0: And what is a what is a brooch? Yeah. I honestly couldn't tell you what that was if you asked me.
1: Not brooch. Really? If you've not heard of a brooch. It's Just a thing, you know, like a badge, but oh, okay. <laughs> oh.
0: just and pinned Mike, to Mike's over place. here like, huh? I had no idea. Uh, really. It
1: did, the brooches not exist over there. I'm
0: sure they do. I just...
1: But they're <sighs> normally, you know, a bit of jewelry that's just pinned
2: to clothes. Oh,
0: okay, like a lapel pin or something along. Maybe it we call really it, it maybe that's what we call it here is a lapel. You know around. what I'm talking about?
2: When... Would that yeah. be more manly? Yeah, when
0: I people dress up in a suit, they'll like pin on, like my grand- my grandfather yeah. would always pin yeah. on a little American flag. and yeah. A suit pin.
1: Ah, oh, okay. So brooch be... is more kind of a women's okay. thing.
0: Yeah, My wife, I'm sure she could tell yeah. me. More jewelry. Yeah,
2: my wife has a few. Oh, Mike did know about it. Come there on, you go. You well, don't I didn't know, know the actual <laughs> term. We just call it a pin, you know, clothing oh, okay. pin or whatever. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. the brooches, you just carve
0: those... Um, but so how do they attach? Do you put a pin back on them or how's that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: They've got a, I just glue a pin oh, back okay. on them. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I did not gather that. I didn't look deep enough on your website. I just saw the image. <laughs> and I was like, that's cute. Cause you know, we, I have a, I have a newborn daughter. It's funny
1: how you assume people know what something is, but actually the combs are a case in point. When I'm at like shows or something, people pick them up and go, "Oh, what is it?" <laughs> it's like it's a comb for combing what your hair. Like? You know, people aren't no people aren't used to them being the right. kind of shape that they are necessarily, the or they've or they are only used to like plastic sure. combs and they don't really and they kind of say, "Well, can you use it?" I'm like, "Well, yeah." <laughs>
2: It's kind of funny when I first kind saw that. It seems obvious to me. Yeah, when I first saw <laughs> your not. comb design, I immediately thought of uh, like a an afro comb. When I gr- growing up well, yeah. and being in high school here, I had very curly thick hair and I used I used to use a a uh, an afro comb. And it, is, it has very similar design to your uh, to your comb. So that's the first thing I thought of, so.
1: Yeah, so rather the handle sticking out the side. The handle is the top right. of the comb, right. you know, so it's it's uh, as if you're looking in portrait mode rather than landscape yep, mode yep. for a comb. Well, yeah.
0: Um, so while we're still on the comb tip, I did want to ask you. You mentioned Lithuania a fair bit. Um, what is your connection to Lithuania? Mm. It sounds like you've been there quite a few times. How did you end up? How what drew you to Lithuania?
1: Yeah. So I've just been a couple of times, and it was because I admired Algirdas Yuskovicius oh, okay, cool. work. Um, and I was kind of thinking in my head, I probably wouldn't have got around to it, but thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go and, you know, find out, you know, learn something from this guy, um, find out something about Lithuanian traditions. Uh, and then I just happened to log on to Facebook when he posted that he was going to be running a spoon hmm. course in Lithuania. Um, and he had places for two international people to come and take part for free. Oh, wow. Uh, So, yeah, so I only had to pay for my flights over there and I just kind of stayed in the capital for a night kind of either side. But apart from that, it was all free and it was amazing. Yeah. So it was um, he'd got some kind of Lithuanian kind of arts council funding and it was mainly with local people. But then there was me and a guy from Sweden um, called Kim, who's on Instagram as Kim Medkneven. He was really cool. He was a really nice guy to hang out with. That's awesome. Um, and a lot a lot of it was in Lithuanian and didn't get translated. <laughs> so we were just kind of there, kind of going, well, I don't know what, it's quite what it's all about. But anyway,
0: everything looks <laughs> That's good. That's one of those few places. I have a good friend um, who's from Lithuania, and uh, she's probably in her early 40s. So she grew up, you know, through the collapse of the Soviet Union. And um, mm. there's still, like, she's told me so many stories of how her family lived and just all the traditional ways that they, um, you know, made their living and lived on the land and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it seems like that's one of those places that, I mean, I know it's modernized a fair bit uh, in the past, you know, 20, 30 years. But um, I have a, another friend who is uh, really into fiber stuff and also into scything. And uh, he and his girlfriend made a trip there maybe like last year, the year before, um, to go learn about scything, because it's still one of the last places where people still scythe for mm-hmm. a living. I mean, uh, my friend, Egla is her name, she said her uncle and, uh, well, I don't think anymore, but her uncle growing up, one of his jobs in the summer was the scythe. So anyways, they it just seems like that's one of those places that still yeah. has a lot of, where a lot of this has been maintained as a way of life and probably out of necessity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: the traditions are still there, still alive. And um, it seems like people, a lot of people live a lot closer to the land. Um, So in the town I was in, there were still the traditional houses, Hmm. um, little wooden, pretty little wooden houses with kind of ornamented windows um, alongside the kind of communist era Hmm. blocks as Hmm. well. Um, But all the houses had just an amazing vegetable patch you know the whole garden was vegetable patch and that's really important for everyone to grow their own vegetables um and then kind of traveling a little bit out of town there are lots of places with just you know their own cow
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and yeah just really close to their land so there's a lot of that a lot of tradition that's been lost you know in here in the industrial revolution everyone moved to cities a lot of people did and off the land And a lot of the traditions were lost but yeah they seem a lot closer to them there
0: yeah it's so cool it's something we definitely don't really have much of a glimpse of i mean here where we live we live in a pretty rural area um and so i have a couple neighbors that are in their late 50s that still remember some of the things they did growing up and one of my neighbors curtis who lives not too far from me he still does a lot of these things but even still like that generation was kind of like the last one to even get a taste of it And so it's interesting how now Mm. a lot of folks like us are kind of, you know, hopefully with our children, uh, we can, you know, embed that into their memory. So when they grow up, they at least Mm. know what that is and they can incorporate it as they see fit. But, um, it seems important to bring that back into this modern world where I feel like people are kind of clamoring for more and more things that they can touch and feel and make them feel a little bit more, um, capable and like they can take care of themselves a little bit
1: yeah yeah just mending things i think is so important and yeah luckily that's something my kids are quite keen on you know keen on kind of patching up clothes and oh, cool. fixing things that get broken because yeah so much is just disposable now oh isn't it but that's just a great skill to have just to be able to fix something so you don't have to buy another another one
0: yeah um that, that makes me think of a question do you have any interests outside of woodworking and spoon carving that um that pick, like any other hobbies that you like to do
1: no I'm completely obsessed no not really <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I,
0: still,
1: I, I play um sax oh cool nice yeah so oh, okay. uh, you know I did that at young at music college right, and sax right. player um so I still do a bit of that you know um yeah, I've actually got a gig coming up in a week or right. so, which is amazing because all the gigs have been canceled, but there's one outdoor theater That's awesome.
2: oh, that
1: we're going to go gosh. and play at. And we had a rehearsal on the beach yesterday and that drew a bit of crowd. Right. That was quite fun. What? Nice. Kind, of a, kind of New Orleans-y, okay. you know, kind of street band.
2: Like brass kind of funky band. Funky stuff yeah,
1: okay. with a bit of kind of Eastern European brass band mixed wow. in. So maybe we can get
0: you and Maddie and a couple other Green Woodworkers to make our theme song. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I started learning wooden flute to take along to these oh, kind nice. of bodger things. So I thought, oh, I can't nah. take a sax. I normally go on the train to things like speed test. Yeah. Can't take a sax, it's too big and heavy, and it's not really a campfire <laughs> instrument. So yeah.
0: I started
2: playing, no. playing wooden flute. It, it, could, it could be in the right with the right accompanying instruments. <laughs> We'll just build a yeah, stage. But... We'll build a stage next time we're at Spoonfest. <laughs> there was honestly.
1: a mad time um, at Spoonfest one year where um, I was jamming with Yogi.
2: Uh-huh.
1: He he was singing and playing guitar, and Dan Lawrence, and someone else. It was just insane. Yeah, just mad. Oh, made up songs about the moon and all we sorts. Got the makings of a
0: Sloid. It was one more. of those.
1: It was one of those kind of pinch me moments. It was
0: quite bizarre. <laughs> I'm 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 already hearing our Sloid guest intro. that's so cool well we're uh we're getting pretty on here um a couple more questions for you we're not we don't want to keep you up too late i know it's uh the late evening there or getting into it um what are some of your favorite tools that you use um or drawn to or really find are like super 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 helpful in your process
1: probably my favorite tool which i'd it's the one i'd want to rescue in a fire it's my little um magnus Sunderland draw oh knot. yeah i have
0: one of those too oh, that's yeah. lovely yep, i have one of those yeah
1: if you guys come across those
0: i have one and it's like my yeah oh, i do. use it on my spoon mule and it's like it just yeah it's amazing yeah. no no other draw so knife compares. I've, I've had other like you know standard pattern draw knives and i just they don't cut it for me they really don't because it's so light, mm,
1: and... it's lovely for all, all the little bits and pieces I do. So, all the yeah, flattening out combs and the brooches, cool. and yeah, I, I'm always trying to think of excuses to use it actually. <laughs> Try, you know, think of things I can yeah. make to sit on the Shea and use That's that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, good answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> any other any other tools like are you know, some people get really into tools, uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, any other
1: uh i've got nick westerman took a cow oh, yeah. i wouldn't yeah, be yeah, without those
0: are really nice yeah those are really nice what's the mm-hmm. trick with those because yes. mike and i both got uh one last i guess last year we both got one and um i mean i love it i use it for ladles and i've used it for some cuctas and i've used it for some spoons but i have not been able to figure out like i watch these videos of, like barn and owen thomas and jojo and all these people and it's just like effortless mm. or, like they're just scooping ice cream and holding the end of the handle like cranking it and i'm just yeah. like man i feel like i'm gonna like cut through my thumb if i do that are you yeah. do, how do you, uh, how do you use yeah yours? i felt
1: like that first of all i felt like it was quite a dangerous beast if you weren't used mm-hmm. to it yeah no i'm completely comfortable cool. now yeah. um and yeah so i uh th- i make kind of little coffee scoops where it's just the radius of the mm. tool where it's really nice
0: yeah they're they're amazing yeah, tools. So it's perfect
1: for that kind of thing
0: i, I need to yeah, work yeah, on my I technique prefer... yeah i mm, like it
1: well i've got a, a really long handle on it, and which rests by my side uh, okay. so that I can just swivel it. And it's, yeah, it's always fixed to my side.
0: Uh, okay.
2: Yeah, I used uh, Barnes' trick. I think he, he might have uh, maybe showcased that one where he uses a... Uh, the strap, sort of a, yeah. I've seen a, that. The strap, too. yeah. Yeah, I tried that last, oh, yeah. last year. I just took an old shoelace and wrapped <laughs> it around my neck. And it actually worked yeah. out. It gives you it gives you a little more like leverage. Him, right?
1: Does it? I think I only yeah. used that once tried that once i don't yeah. really give it a chance i
2: think yeah it works yeah. pretty well for me well those are
0: two okay. really nice tools so they are good answer yeah um well we don't want to keep you all night um so do you have any other things you'd like to tell us mike any other questions no um no, thanks, ha- for, thanks for being here <laughs> so our last question is uh our question we ask all of our guests and what does Sloyd mean to you amy
1: Slide. well i don't know because it's a swedish word isn't it and i think there it just kind of means handcraft mm-hmm. but to me it kind of means green woodworking
0: right so it's just interchangeable um term.
1: yeah so maybe that's not the true definition of it but that's what i kind of think of it kind of um taking the whole process through you know understanding how to split out a log mm-hmm. to you know work out whatever product you're going to make from it how that's going to work or seeing the shape in the wood. Uh, yeah, kind of taking it through the whole process. Yeah. I think that's what it means to me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us again and being able to re record this with us. And I think we got it spot on this time. Um, Hopefully. Can you tell our listeners if they would like to see your work or follow you? What are the best places to keep up with what you're doing?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I post on Instagram where I'm at woodmongler, mm-hmm. so wood and then then M-U-N-G-L-E-R. Um, and my website is www.woodmongler, spelled the same way, wood, M-U-N-G-L-E-R, .co.uk.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Well, please go check out Amy's work. Right. And thank you so much, Amy, for joining us. Hopefully we can... Uh, thank you for having me. Hopefully we can have you on again in the future to discuss whatever else you end up getting into as time goes on sure I thanks
1: hopefully amy I'll, I'll, uh, hopefully i'll bump into you at Spoonfest or one of these other yeah, things well, one
0: if our, day one day goes right
2: slow yeah. will cover a spoon <laughs> yes have a good yeah awesome have a good night okay
1: thanks bye. guys bye-bye
2: bye all right good chat
0: it was we got we got our technical issues um <clears throat> scrubbed out i think
2: i hope <laughs> we haven't listened to it yet but i'm um, I have Uh, have good vibes about this uh, one. Yeah.
0: So, uh, the wrap up is kind of a new thing we're going to add to our podcast. Um, There's a couple words to the wise. So, Sloycast is, you know, it's in its infancy, and we have a big list of people we are, you know, actively tracking down to interview. But I just want to put a bug in anyone's ear that's still listening to this point in the podcast. Uh, If there's anyone you, you would love to hear an interview with, let us know. We're totally open to suggestions. Uh, once we work through kind of our list, um, we'll kind of let the people guide us and see, you know, who, who is it that people want to hear from. So that's one of the things that you can do. Our website's still under construction. Hopefully, we might have it out by this episode, or at least like a rough thing, and have some contact stuff up on there. But uh, if you already listen to this, you know how to find it. Um, if you can... Yeah. Uh, I know it's early, but <clears throat> go on whatever your favorite podcast app is and give us a rating. Um, that'll help it pop up for other people that are looking for craft-related rel- podcasts that maybe aren't into spoon carving or pole lathing, but you know, you never know. They listen to an episode with Amy Leek, and they might be right. running out to figure out how to make a pole lathe. So that would be really helpful. And you know, share it widely, anyone you think would be interested in it. And I think that's all we got for now. Thanks yeah. for listening. And oh, one last word. So, Sloydcast is, again, in its infancy. We're only two episodes in, really, two interviews in. Um, but we really see this being uh, like a user, or not a user, but a listener kind of um, produced podcast, a value for value model. So, if you find any value in this, start by liking uh, it on your, I guess, like, you know, Apple, iTunes, uh, yeah. Google Podcasts, uh, rating it. And then,
2: uh, yeah. And share our posts on Instagram. We'll, we'll probably be a little more active on our uh, Instagram account. And so if you see something that you like, go ahead and share it. And that way the word get, gets on on Instagram. Yeah, so if
0: you get value out of it, please pass it along and uh, help us spread the word. And until next time,
2: that's it. Later. <laughs>